following audio is from a sermon series called Identity Formation. As we study through the book of Ephesians, our aim is to get an understanding about what is most true about us when our identity is found in Jesus Christ. As we understand our gospel identity, we learn that our being informs our doing. Ephesians is all about identity formation. For more information on Sacred City Church, visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. It's uh, good to be with y'all this morning. Uh, like Trent said, my name is Scott. I'm here with my wife, Emily, uh, right up here. So uh, it's really um, good to be with y'all. Uh, you know, if I'm a little bit raspy this morning, it's because I was a part of the 118 decibel volume in Kinnick Stadium uh, last night. Uh, and I apologize if that's not a good thing uh, for you here, but in Iowa City, that is a very good thing. And so uh, Sam and I were actually texting last night, and he was like, dude, how do I? So if you didn't know this, Sam and I swapped pulpits this morning, right? I'm here, and he's at Harvest City, and he's preaching on sadness in a series on emotions. And so he's like, how do you preach in Iowa City this morning on sadness when they were filled with elation yesterday, the whole city, right? And I was like, uh, well, just focus on Penn State a lot. That's probably how they're feeling right now, you know? Um, but anyway, uh, I am so glad uh, to be with y'all, even if it sounds like I'm a little raspy. But uh, one of the reasons why I'm so glad to be with y'all is because of this deep connection uh, and partnership between our churches in some sense. So uh, some of y'all maybe don't even know this, but if you have rolled with um, Sacred City even for the last three, four years, um, you have been a part of generously um, like helping to send out a church in Iowa City, right? So our church in some sense exists because of the generosity of folks like you here in uh, in Moline uh, giving and in and, and Acts 29 churches right like 10 and some of that went to our church but it's not just even uh, by way of fundraising that I'm thankful and and I feel like man maybe I can give some like part of a reciprocal gift back to your church in that way uh, but there's like so many small things right so uh, in the way that y'all uh, love Sam and the way that y'all bless Sam and the way that y'all encourage Sam as his church family uh, that overflows, and you don't get to see that probably, and you don't know about that many times, but it overflows to bless other people, right? And so sometimes the, the encouragement that you give to him extends then to reach pastors throughout the state of Iowa as we gather. Uh, I'm the one that gets to host by God's grace, but we gather in Iowa City, and people are coming from uh, Des Moines and, and um, from the Quad Cities and uh, from Dubuque and uh, from Collins, Iowa, and different places. And so, uh, man, my friendship with Sam uh, has been an encouraging one, and some of that's because y'all have encouraged him, and so I'm super thankful for that. And then on, on another level, okay, for whatever reason, this space is a little bit sacred to Emily and I, okay, like specifically this worship space, and so uh, there's so many things that have happened. I, I think I sat like right about where uh, the three of y'all are in that pew, right somewhere there, 
uh, in the Relational Souls Conference that happened here a few years back, you know? And I think about uh, Jim uh, Cofield and I um, uh, don't remember the other author's name. What? Rich, yeah, Rich Platt, right? Uh, and, um, and I think about them saying things like, man, if you are having a $100 reaction to a $10 problem, man, you got to go look under the hood for what's going on in your heart, right? And that changed my life. I say that to people in our church all the time, okay? And uh, there's just different things like that that have happened in this space. So it's really fun to worship with y'all. You know, like there's uh, a number of times that both Emily and I have sat in this space and been so encouraged by the word of God and Porterbrook, okay? And like even Porterbrook in the Quad Cities is such a gift to Harvest City Church uh, for us to come and be a part of that. Both of us personally uh, have gone through or are going through uh, the two years of, of Porterbrook and being blessed. And so this space, y'all, um, you don't even know uh, how much that bless, has blessed us. And then there's this last K thing, okay? And y'all might think this is just an extension. And I'm like, no, 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 this is the Holy Spirit connecting dots. But because Emily and I were here for that Relational Souls Conference, and then in my friendship with Sam, I'm hearing, okay, that's not just a conference for him. There's carryover. He's coached by Jim Cofield, right? And uh, so he gets to hear from Jim like once a month an encouragement from this uh, old wise dude that has done a lot of ministry. I'm like, man, I got to get that hookup somehow in our church, okay? I have got to get our church to pay for me to meet with that guy uh, so that I can uh, be encouraged in that way. And long story short, now that has carried over into my month to month, and I get to um, be coached by Jim. And and so there's this ongoing gifts that your church, uh, by way of y'all doing things um, in, a, in a way that's glorifying to God, have really blessed me. So it's exciting to be here with y'all uh, as we enter into the Word of God, even this morning, y'all. Even this morning, uh, if I could, if I had time to get into it, I would unpack for you that in the midst of me being a Red Sox and a Hawkeye fan this week, and the Red Sox beat the Yankees in the wildcard game, and it was awesome, and it was a night filled with elation in my household, right? And then on Friday night, we had this, uh, we had this uh, worship and prayer night at our church, and it was good to be like stirred in that way. And then we went home, and my kids stayed up with me, and we watched the Red Sox just beat the snot out of the Rays 14 to 6 that night. And then, you know, like last night, Emily and I, it was her birthday yesterday, y'all. Everybody say happy birthday to my wife. Uh, what she wanted for her birthday, which makes her like really awesome in my eyes, right, is she wanted tickets to the Penn State Iowa game. And so we go and we just enjoyed that to the max. I tell you what, though, uh, sporting victories don't do what corporate worship can do to take you through difficult circumstances in life. And so we've gone through some really hard stuff too in the last week or two. And y'all just worshiping with you corporately this morning and singing hongs, songs and hymns and spiritual songs one to another, right? There's an aspect of our singing that we sing over one another. Even that just did work in my heart this morning that I really needed to be done. And so just thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be with y'all and to bring the Word of God to bear on our lives. Um, this morning, it's my understanding that we're going to continue our journey through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesians. Love Ephesians. That's where we started our church, okay? Uh, when we planted, uh, Ephesians was the first place that we camped out for a good long time. 
It's not as long as your camp, and I love how thorough you're being here. Um, but a simple recap of Ephesians so far, right, is the first half of Ephesians is about theology. It's about the inner work that God's doing uh, and who we are in Christ. It's about our identity in Christ, right, chapters 1 through 3. And then in chapter 4, we turn to the second half of this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and it's about practice, we start to press that identity outward into our outward walk of lives. And it's about getting our walk, the way that we live, lined up with who we are in Christ by God's grace. And so as we start this morning, I want to tell you, tell you all about a young man that I got a, ch- a chance to do some ministry with for a season. When Emily and I uh, were at Parkview Church, that's a church that we planted out of, uh, we led uh, community groups, what y'all call MCs, right? And uh, multiplied groups like three or four times. It's a really fruitful season uh, of ministry. And by God's grace, we got an opportunity to have a bunch of med students come through our, our group, okay? I don't know how we ended up being the med student group, but uh, by God's grace, we got to be the place where a lot of Christian med students came through our household. Well, one of those students, his name's Miles Greenwald, and uh, uh, I can't tell you a whole lot more about Miles because we don't have time this morning, uh, other than Miles and I have like a ton of really good chemistry, okay? Uh, I know people talk about that in like uh, relationships with like, you know, the opposite sex a lot of times, uh, but for whatever reason in friendship, that's the language that I use uh, when I'm talking about, you just know when you click with somebody on a lot of cylinders, like, like Miles is one of those dudes in my, in my life and ministry that when they walked, him and his wife Emily, uh, which my wife's name is Emily too, you know, coincidence there, I think not. Uh, when he walked into our home, uh, it was just like we clicked on all cylinders. And um, one of the really cool things uh, that I ended up learning, Miles ended up being in an article in like a uh, University of Iowa newspaper, um, you, like towards the end of his time uh, in, in med school. I think it's when he was graduating And it talked about how there were three generations of Greenwalds that had gone, three generations in a row of Greenwalds that had gone through the University of Iowa Medical School. And and when I read that article, you know, I started to think, um, why? Why would anyone, why would three generations of people go through all of this, man? Maybe this is just like shows how much I don't like school, okay? But like, why would three generations of people go through not only undergraduate degree, right? But then go through four years of med school and then for uh, Miles and his dad both at least through four years of residency and then even beyond that you could do a fellowship. Why would three generations of men go through this one, they get to see it, right? They got to see it firsthand growing up. They got to see how physicians can work incredibly long hours and be on call when other people are spending time with their families. They got to see that uh, they have to go through all of these years of extra education. And so, you know, I just thought, why in the heck would two generations of Greenwalds follow in their father's footsteps? Well, I have a couple of hypotheses, okay? Uh, One more serious than the other. But my first hypothesis is that deep down, I think Tom and Miles, so Tom is Miles' dad, I think both Tom and Miles really, really, really just wanted to be Hawkeyes, okay? So Tom is like the orthopedic doctor that actually works with the Iowa State Cyclone football team. And so I just believe that in my heart of hearts, Tom kept taking that beating year after year, every time that they played the Hawkeyes, you know, that Tom just really, really wanted to be a Hawkeye. 
okay? Because Miles grew up in those stadiums and grew up going to those games, and I think he just wanted to switch sides, okay? Uh, but um, but in, in reality, I don't think it's just that. I think that was just like the, you know, closet kind of motivation popping out there. But my more serious hypothesis is that Tom and Miles knew that they wanted to follow in their father's footsteps through four years of medical school, four years of residency, and a lifetime of being a physician because they knew this. They knew that they were beloved sons of their father, both biologically and heavenly fathers. And what you wouldn't know, since you've not met these men in the Greenwald family, is that these men are godly men who do a phenomenal job of loving their children. And so my hypothesis is that Tom and Miles have chosen to imitate their father's vocation because they identify as beloved children and the love of their father freed them from any inhibition to embark on a journey to glorify God as a physician. You see, this morning, church, I think God wants each one of us to to know that because we are light in the Lord by grace alone, that we must imitate God by walking as children of light. My sermon title for this morning is Walking as Children of Light. And in Sam's words, Sacred City Moline has been slowly working through, working our way through the book of Ephesians. And today we find ourselves in the midst of one of my favorite texts as a preacher. One of my absolute favorite texts. Can I tell you why it's one of my favorite texts? See, I like asking questions like that to my church because usually, like, what are you going to say? No, right? Like, it's one of my favorite things to do to ask, like, a hypothetical question like that. That if you said no, like, well, clearly you're not going to, you know? So I'm just going to ask anyway. Um, but one of the reasons this is my favorite text, one of my favorite texts, is because, um, you know, the common joke if you went to a preaching class at seminary is that a good sermon is just like three points in a poem, right? Well, Ephesians 5, 1 through 21, uh, not only has three points in a poem, walk in love, walk in the light and walk as wise and not unwise, making the best use of our time. The three walks end up being your three points. It also has that poem at the end. And even better yet, in verse one, when it talks about being uh, beloved children and, and imitating the father, it gives us our big idea for the sermon as well. And so today, I'm really excited to jump into this text because we get to jump into one section of that, one aspect of that, and hone in on it. And it's this idea of walking as children of light. So today, we need to read this text in the midst of that grand context of being children of God who imitate him because we are beloved children of God. I'm going to say this big idea one more time. Because we are light in the Lord by grace alone, we must imitate God by walking as children of light. Will you all pray with me? God, we are incredibly dependent upon you this morning. Uh, Many times as a preacher steps into the pulpit, he gets to preach with both his life and his words. And this morning, because I'm an unknown commodity in this church, I, I, I preach merely with words. And so I ask God that you would move powerfully through your word this morning, that you would be the one that puts it on display this morning, that you would be the one that is exalted in all that is said, and that you would even empower the listening of your word, that we would not be listeners only this morning. We would not be hearers only this morning, but we would be doers of your word, that's, that, that our lives would be built on the very foundation 
of the word of God. Uh, empower us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, well, uh, this is uh, an outline that I often use in our church that kind of like simplifies and dives into a text, uh, and here's what it's going to be. We're going to talk about uh, what this word, what this specific text calls us to do in our lives, okay? Uh, if you were to press this text down into our hearts, what would it spit out in our lives? That's where we'll start. Second, we're going to talk just really frankly. I don't know if you picked up on this yet, but uh, I am an eight uh, like Justin Dean. I am not as intense as Justin Dean. You can Sam, he would for sure say that, okay? Um, but in uh, being an eight, I can be pretty frank. So we're going to talk really directly about why we don't do that. Because sometimes if we don't talk about why we don't do it, uh, we won't get around to doing it. And then we're going to talk about how Jesus has done that, how Jesus is the key to unlock this doing in our lives. And then lastly, we're going to come back to our identity in Christ and how that then flows out. Out of, out of being informed of who we are, that's going to be what flows out of our doing. You with me? So that's where we're headed this morning. And so when we start off, I'm just going to ask this question. What does Paul mean when he says, walk as children of life? Look at verses 8 to 10. If you're, if you're a Bible reader, let's get our faces in the word this morning as we start off. In verse 8, it says, for at one time you were darkness. Woof. <laughs> that's where we start, huh? For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So tie this back to verse 1 with me, right? Uh, remember in verse 1 of Ephesians 5, it talks about imitating, therefore, our Heavenly Father, because we are beloved children of God who have been transformed through the gospel to imitate God himself. And so in this parenthetical reference, right, when it says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, it's giving us an idea of how we can uh, imitate and put on display ethical qualities, you might call them fruit of light, that belong to God himself. You see, we are God's people. Uh, we are created in his image. And part of our reflecting his image is living in a way that puts on display who God is in these specific ethical qualities. Good, right, and true. These are the fruit of light that should be found in the children of light if you looked at our lives. You see, walking in the light here is imitating God's righteousness. Like last week in verse 2, talked about walking in love some. And if walking in love is imitating God's sacrificial love toward us in Christ, then walking in, light, or in the light is simply imitating God's righteousness. We know that God is good, that God is righteous, and that God is true. So walking in the light is imitating the uprightness of God's character. And since we are children of light, the fruit in our lives, right? The fruit in our lives, what comes out of our lives, our words, our actions, our thoughts even, should be good and right and true as God is good and right and true. So one aspect of, of this idea of walking in the light is that there should be fruit of light produced in our lives. But a second thing that we know to be true about walking in the light in this text is that it not only entails the fruit of light being produced in our lives, it also excludes 
participation in the unfruitful works of darkness. Before you go too far down that road, just think about that word participation. A good amount of this is it's calling us to not engage communally in the fruits of darkness. It's not not calling us to participate in things that people who are still darkness, uh, who have not yet found their identity in Christ, are taking part in that are sinful and dark. Because light and darkness are incompatible. Y'all, light and darkness are incompatible. If we didn't have lights on here and, we, and it was completely dark in this sanctuary and we flipped on the light switch in here, there could not be darkness any longer. When light shines into darkness, the darkness is not there any longer. And so it's, in, it's, it's completely inappropriate for us who live in the light, who have been transformed by the power of the gospel to be light, to then take up a lifestyle that conforms to those who are still in darkness. And that gives us to verse 10 to 12. Get our face back in the word here for a second. He goes on to say, And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Notice the bridge here. The bridge between the fruit of the light and the unfruitful works of darkness is this phrase, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, the good news here is that uh, by God's grace, through the power of his spirit uh, and through the gift of his word, right, we can discern what is pleasing to the Lord and what is not pleasing to the Lord. We can discern the fruit of the light from the unfruitful works of of darkness. And we'll talk more about that, but you guys got into some of that very specifically last week. So this idea of walking in the light entails both producing fruitful works of dark, uh, fruitful works of light in our lives, right? To produce in our lives what is good and right and true, that if God has done a work in our lives, what's going to be on the fruit of our branches of our lives are these good and right and true things actions, thoughts, and words. Uh, it entails not participating in the unfruitful work of, works of darkness, but maybe the most redemptive, the most beautiful thing of this as we walk in the light is this hope. It's this, this hope that as we walk as children of light, that our actions and our thoughts and our words will be used by God to expose unfru- unfruitful works of darkness in hope of transformation. Do you see that in the text? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Sacred City, we can discern the fruit of the light from unfruitful works of darkness. And as we do that, and as we then walk in the light, and there's fruit produced in our life that is good and right and true, and as we avoid participating in uh, the unfruitful works of darkness, uh, when we do our good deeds uh, and give glory to God the Father, they will shine brightly into the lives of people around us, and God will use them to expose the darkness and to bring about transformation. 
So I know it didn't put a lot of uh, per application on the, on the vine yet, but we're going to get there this morning. So those are the three aspects of what it looks like to walk in the light. And so my question then is, why don't we do this? Why don't we just naturally do good and light and true things, you know, on a regular basis? Uh, why isn't this easy for us? What inhibits us from walking as children of light might be a better question. You see, Paul's crystal clear in his letter to the church at Ephesus that their main problem, I would say uh, our greatest problem as well, is that we fail to allow our being to inform our doing. Y'all think about the, the trajectory of the book of Ephesians, right? For three chapters, Paul pounded and, and weaved in all this that's on these banners here, these identities that are true about who we are in Christ, about who we have been made, and the deposit that's guaranteeing our inheritance that the Spirit of God lives in us and is working through us. Yet we go back to living as if those things are not true of us. We go back to or re revert back to who we used to be and we take part in the unfruitful works of darkness with those who are still darkness. Look at verse 8 again. It says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk in as children of light. Sacred City Church, Paul does not mince his words here. He says, you were darkness. He doesn't just say that you used to like hang around with people who are pretty dark. He doesn't say that you lived in the darkness. He doesn't say that darkness just had a hold on our lives before we repented and believed the gospel. He says, we were darkness. Before we were in Christ, sin was not just something that we used to do a lot. It pervaded every aspect of our being. And with that in mind, I think the number one thing that inhibits us from walking as children of light is what Paul Tripp calls identity amnesia. We are so quick to forget who we are in Christ, aren't we? We are so quick to forget who we are in Christ. One thing can happen in our lives that's completely out of our control or that we didn't see coming, and that circumstance uh, gets us down in the dumps thinking that we are not beloved and chosen and children of God. And so then we get stuck in this, uh, this anti-identity and we start to live out of that. One shiny thing can drive by us on the street and all of a sudden this thing that we really wanted begins to take root in our hearts and now instead of remembering that God is our provider and we are his child and he's gonna give us all that we need for life and godliness, now all of a sudden we are living out of a different identity because of this shiny thing that drove by. One little image can pop up in an ad as we're looking at our computer screen, actually going about our day and doing our job, and this one image of some attractive human being that God made, and, and, and that all of them are beautiful, but for this one, for a specific reason, caught our eye today. And all of a sudden, that image can cause us to revert back to who we used to be 
and start to live from a different place in our being. We are so quick to forget our identity. We're so quick to forget who we are in Christ. And as soon as we forget that we are beloved children, verse 1, and that we are children of light, verse 8, instead of being imitators of God, we become imitators of the world, okay? I want us to think about this through the lens of a couple of verses in Romans, okay? Ro- you say Siri, come on, I wasn't talking to you. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are going to be the verses that we look at this through, Okay? It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2 is where we're going to hang our hat. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Church, there may be a few situations in our life where we don't quite know what is holy and acceptable to God, where we can't discern what is pleasing to God. But let's be honest, for the most part, what's pleasing to God is as easily discerned as light is from darkness. We can tell the difference between light and dark. We can tell the difference between holy and unholy, for the most part. And once we've discerned what is pleasing to the Lord, that's when the rubber hits the road with fighting to believe that who we are and who God says we are are one and the same. If we preach the gospel to ourselves and remind ourselves that we are beloved children, beloved children of the Most High God, and that we are children of light by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, then you better believe we will be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. But if through our identity amnesia and the difficult circumstances of the world going around us these days, uh, if we keep forgetting who we are and crawling back into the darkness, then we will be conformed to this world. We are either going to hang our hat in one place and, and that being the world word of God and what he says about who we are and be transformed in the image of Jesus, or we will let the world inform us about who we are and we will be conformed to be more like the world, it says in Romans 12. But the, the problem is that we just think that if we delve a little bit into sin, if we put our foot over here, we don't think that it's going to affect who we are. We think it's just something that we're going to do and we're going like, to be able to just steer back really quick. We don't take into account the fact that we are going to be conformed. We are going to be transformed in one direction or another. We need to look up the river and down the river, you might say, with our choices about how we are living. You see, one way or another, we're going to change. The question is, will we be conformed to the world or transformed into the image of Christ? And I don't know about you, but that's pretty weighty. It's pretty weighty for me to think about the things that I did this week, the thoughts that I allowed myself to go into this week, maybe even some of the things that I said on the phone to a friend this week after said circumstances happened. And to think, man, choosing to say and do and think those things has implications in my life as I look down the road, right? But the good news of the gospel is that our sanctification is not dependent on what we do and what we think and our choices alone. It is first and foremost most 
dependent upon Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Amen? Church, we need to bask in the good news of the gospel this morning as we think about light and darkness. At one time, this text does say that each and every one of us, we were darkness. We walked in darkness. We preferred the darkness. We had things in the attic of our heart tucked away so deep and so far up there that we didn't think there was any hope of those things getting exposed or let alone anybody in a missional community ever hearing me say that stuff in front of somebody else about what I did. But in the fullness of time, Ephesians 2 says... God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, it says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Sacred City, the, the, the Christ that showed us kindness, the Christ that saved us by grace alone, the Christ who made us alive together with him, the Christ who raised us up and seated us with him in the heavenly realms is known in John's gospel as the very light of the world. And the good news of the gospel this morning is that the light of the world left heaven. He came to earth. He got up close and personal with us. And he lived a perfect life. His, his words, his actions, and his miracles could be defined as the fruit of the life, the fruit of the light. He lived it out to a T in his days and his moments here on earth. And Jesus Christ, the light of the world, he put on full display the fruit of light. And he didn't do that merely to set an example for us to follow, y'all. But the light of the world shone so brightly that it also exposed the unfruitful works of darkness in the lives of everybody around him. In the, in the light of everybody that reads about him. In the light of everybody that looks into Jesus with a soft heart. You see... Jesus, the light of the world, shone so brightly that it exposed the unfruitful works of darkness in the lives of all who would look on him in faith, Scripture says. And there's countless stories in the Gospels of this, right? There's probably countless stories of this in your church here this morning, coming to Jesus and not only having the unfruitful works of darkness exposed in our lives, but in one fell swoop, the darkness is driven right out of us because now in Christ Jesus, the light of the world, we're transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And now those of us who were darkness just one day ago in a moment can be made light in the Lord. And we are children of the light. This is the power of the gospel. This is what Jesus can do in our lives. And it does not mean that we go on living a perfect life and now we're just like him in every moment, right? That's clearly not true in any of our lives. But when he has done that work, now he's given us an identity that can be pressed down into our hearts and pressed out into our lives. And there might be someone here this morning who has been in the dark for so long that they don't know how they could ever begin to walk in the light. Y'all, for the first 19 years of my life, all I did was just spin in circles in, in the darkness. 
But this morning, I want to challenge you. If that's you, if you're like, man, I don't know uh, this guy and what he's talking about. I don't know if I could ever begin to walk in the life. I don't know that I could ever experience that exposure. If the things that I did that are up in the attic of my heart were pushed out in for other people to hear, I don't know that I could ever live through that. I challenge you to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks over us this old hymn quoted in verse 14. Read verse 13 and 14 with me. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, and this is like a poem, okay? This is like a hymn that maybe, maybe in the early church was like what was read over newly baptized believers when they came up out of that water. It says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I wonder what's more difficult to take someone and raise them up from the dead or to shine the light of Christ into your life that you might go from darkness to light. You see, Jesus, the light of the world, holds the keys to life, and he is the light of the world. And when we put our hope and our trust in him and stand in the good news of his substitutionary death and resurrection, we are made alive with Christ. And at the same time, we're adopted into his family to become children of light. And it's this brand new identity that that informs our good and right and true living. And that brings us to the last point that I got this morning. In Christ, because of what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection, we are, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone, children of light. And the main way that we live out this new identity is by walking in the light, y'all. One commentator summed it up this way. I thought this was beautiful. He says, in Ephesians, darkness represents ignorance, error and evil and in particular comes to signify immorality as a way of life of those who are separated from God but hear this light on the other hand stands for truth knowledge and now holiness all of which comes from God All of which comes from God. Just in case you didn't know, all means all. It doesn't mean some of it comes from God and then I have to go the last 10 yards to take it home in my life. It doesn't mean that a piece of my holiness comes from God, but then I have got to grind with everything in me in order to be a good person and do good things. It it means all. All of that comes from God. He is the one that does the work in your heart when he transfers you from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He is the one that gives you the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. He is the one that then empowers us to live in line with who we are and to do what is good and right and true in our lives. By his grace and his, through his spirit, that's how we walk this walk. You see, walking in the light, remember, it's imitating God's righteousness. And he has given us the gift of his righteousness in Christ. He's taken our debt on the cross. God is good and righteous, trustworthy and holy. So walking in the light, it's imitating the uprightness of God's character. And there's a few areas, I know y'all talked about it last week in these verses, where this is specifically important. 
It's important, it says in this text in verses 2 through 6 or 7, uh, in our sex lives. It's important in our words. It's important even in this specific area of covetousness, it says. You see, walking in the light looks like living in a righteous living a righteous life the way that God created you to live, even in the areas of your life that are easy to be kept behind closed doors, or as Paul might say, in the dark, okay? I just want you to think about this in light and dark language, okay? I know you covered it last week, uh, but think about where does sex normally happen? Not in public. It happens in private in a bedroom, in a place that can be kept behind closed doors. Where, where does covetousness happen? It's not usually something that's on display out here. It's you, you see that thing, you want that thing, and all of a sudden the scene goes from right here in your heart and you start to covet in here. It's not something that somebody can always discern from the outside. Sometimes it's hidden and it's private. Where does crude joking and foolish talk happen? Well, in my experience, it happens on places like a golf course where you think that if I say this out here on hole number eight right before we tee off, nobody else can ever hear it. It's in a hidden place where only the people that hear it are the people that I intended to hear it right here. And Paul's saying, even the things that we do in the dark need to be done in a way that is good and right and true. Because God isn't just good and right and true out there. God is good and right and true here. And he has adopted us into his family to be children of light. So what's Paul getting at here? I think he's reminding the Ephesian church that there is no nook or cranny of our lives that can be kept separate from the purifying light of Christ. For us to imitate God the Father as beloved children, we must walk in the light in every facet of our lives. And the good news is that the power to walk in the light comes from being united to the one who is the light of the world. And since we are united with Christ through the gospel, we have hope that our righteous life will then expose the unfruitful works of darkness in the same way that his life exposed our darkness and transformed us to become children of life. So our excluding those things from our life, us not taking part in the unfruitful works of darkness and living in a way that is good and right and pure, then creates opportunities for transformation and exposure in other people's lives. So one last time, did you hear the redemptive power that walking in the light can have in our cities, in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces? Let's read it one more time. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed in the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Church, the final push in this passage is not only to walk in the light, but to walk in the light in a way that exposes the unfruitful works of darkness in the world around us. And this is the final point of application that I want to push on this morning before we head home. You see, Paul doesn't say here, go and preach really good sermons that drive the darkness out of our neighborhoods. 
He doesn't say, go and say all the right words in order to get darkness out of our workplace. What he says is walk. That means live in such a way, live a life that is so informed by the good news of the gospel that we who are light in the Lord live in such a way that it exposes darkness in our city, in our neighborhood, and in our workplace. Think about this, church. The very language that you use in conversations at work may be a part of God's plan to drive back the darkness in your workplace. Speaking with kindness instead of contempt this week might cause someone to repent and turn to light since God's kindness leads us to repentance. Consciously choosing not to be a part of that foolish talk in your workplace or the crude joking that happens over there in your neighborhood may solidify you as a lighthouse in the middle of a dark environment. And one day, even though you never thought it would be possible, God gives you an opportunity then to share the hope that you have in Christ with your coworker or your neighbor. You see, God wants to use the way that we live to expose unfruitful works of darkness and give hope for transformation because where light is, there's no room for darkness any longer. He wants to drive it out through our good works. Sacred City, walking in the good works that God's prepared in advance for you, Ephesians 2.10, might be a big part of God's plan to transform your neighborhood to be more like his kingdom. Maybe raking leaves for your neighbor might not seem like a big deal this fall, But what if as you sacrificed some of your time, as you took time out of your schedule in order to serve and bless someone else, that through your serving and your blessing, the unfruitful works of selfishness that are in the dark in somebody else's life is driven out. It might not even be that neighbor that you did it for. It might be somebody that's driving by. It might be somebody down the street that could see that those leaves aren't there any longer and they ask who did it and they find out that it was somebody who's trying to find their identity in Jesus and seek to serve their community. Maybe showing up with your MC to serve at a local nonprofit might not feel flashy. It might not feel like, man, this is really worthy of my time sometimes. But what if the light of the world was shining through every good work that your MC took part in? And that people that you never even met before just happen to see it. And then it might shine into their heart and expose darkness in their life and drive them to Jesus who is the light of the world. I'm just going to come right out and say it right here. Many of us have felt like these are dark times. And it feels like God's trying to tell each one of us this morning that we play a big role in turning the lights back on around here and playing a big role in just turning on the light of the world in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our city. Church, we are beloved children who are adopted into God's family by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And to the degree that we believe and to the degree that we remember and to the degree that we understand the good news of the gospel and what it says about our identity in Christ is the degree that we will be able to shed our inhibitions and find grace from God to imitate our Heavenly Father. Y'all, how could the light of the world shining fresh into your heart this morning empower you to walk as children of light? Jesus is indeed the true and better imitator of the Father. In his time on earth, he said he was always doing the Father's work. 
Jesus fleshed out. He put on flesh, and he put on flesh the Father's heart perfectly through his thoughts and his actions and his words. And Jesus' imitation of the Father completely affected his walk in life. Jesus did more than just mimic. He stepped into a broken world with messed up circumstances, and he imitated his Father by the power of the Holy Spirit to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because dying on the cross and rising from the grave three days later was the only way to make us alive together with him and to shine his light even into the deepest crevices of our hearts and our cities. We get an opportunity to join him in that. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your grace. That God, even though we didn't even have a flashlight, we had uh, no light switch, we had no resource from which to go from darkness into the light, that Jesus, you came near to us. You shone your light into our hearts. You turned on the switch that made it so that we could see that we were in the darkness, that we could see the things that we were taking part in that were not pleasing to you. And we could see the effect they were not only having on us, but on the people around us as well. And so God, I ask that you would empower us this morning, even through these sacraments, even through the, the eating of bread and the drinking of some juice that you would remind us this morning who we are in Christ, that we are the light of the world, that we are children of light who have been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And God, that tasting and seeing your goodness and your righteousness and your truth this morning would empower us to be people who do good works, and give you glory in every aspect of our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.